But like, I feel like the whole thing, like as seriously as people take debunking anti-communist myths, it's like, you really shouldn't take it all that seriously because the people who are saying them, they don't even take it seriously. Like, I don't think the people who say communism killed millions, I don't think they really believe it. You know what I mean? Like, I think they just, it sounds good and they say it because they want to just, you know, shit on lefties. So they just say that shit. And I don't think any amount of presenting data or facts or evidence is going to convince them. Like, they're just, that's Definitely who they are. Not. Yeah, no, if they're just blatantly just repeating propaganda like that wholeheartedly, you're not changing their mind in a discussion where you're going to debunk their shit. Like, I don't fucking radicalize people by saying, like, trying to debunk, oh, the 100 million fucking starting right. and all this, that, and the other. Like, I don't fucking debunk that way. I'm like, hey. Here's some actual material, like, improvements in material conditions that happened, and it was fucking sweet. Wouldn't that be cool if it happened here? If we had something, anything like that? You know, you want to say the USSR was evil? Well, here's this, 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 that says otherwise, and hell, even if the rest of it was evil, why can't we take that? Yeah, and for our listeners, this is an episode for your education and sharing it with people with similar views, maybe without similar views, but... I think the point we're trying to get across is you're not going to win anyone over by walking up to an anarchist and just shitting on everything he believes in. Yeah. Same thing with a conservative. You're not going to win them over that way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If anything, this is just to give like, give people who are already lefties of some variety, like talking points to be able to counter those things. If they come up in a discussion, like if you make the mistake of arguing with a fucking reactionary or really even an anarchist. So, Still a reactionary, I guess, but if you if you argue with <laughs> don't waste your breath. You know, it's take away theirs. <laughs> it's it's straight up not worth it with like conservatives and other reactionaries most of the time. I am more of a letting them know where I stand. And if they'd like to have some information, I feel free to share. Like I talk to conservative relatives and friends all the time about Cuba and Bye. the USSR, and, right? No, just in a, in a, here's a cool bit of information, and we kind of chop it up, and they give me their thoughts on it, and I just kind of tell them what I think, and it doesn't turn into, like, a debate of, no, 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 wait a second, it's this and that. It, it turns into yeah. a, here's some information you may not have had, and their receptacle of it, they aren't going to change their views, but that's their path to figure out, and I think so many people you do win over are those people who are hungry for it anyway. And if you plant a seed, you might be surprised in a year or two, someone might say, hey, I've been looking into some of these views. I'd like to talk to you again because I don't know a whole lot of people, leftists, socialists, communists, et cetera. So it's more about just letting the groups and communities that you're a part of know where you stand so that you can be there to facilitate learning if they're actually hungry for it. Yeah, Mike, after I visited you, I was visiting some family before I stopped by Jaren's and um, one of the family friends, like I was talking to her and just capitalism came up and I got to my usual talking point. I'm like, well, that's what happens when you have a socioeconomic system such as capitalism that puts capital and profits before people. And she was like, oh, that's crazy. Like, I've been doing a little bit of reading lately into some like stuff. And I was like, oh, what are you reading? And she's like, Lenin. I was like, Oh, yes. all right, here we go. And so I just fucking went off with her, just started talking about everything. And she started getting onto like some of these myths like that we're about to cover. And instead of engaging, I was like, here, I got a sub five minute video, yellow parenti. Um, 
showed it to her. She's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I love that so much. And then yeah. we got back on to the actual talking points instead of sitting there trying to debunk myth after myth. That's actually pretty good. Oh, I, I did almost forget. My favorite thing, Sterling, that you just said, you were, you, I think you meant to say that these people you're talking to are receptive to it. And you said that they're receptacle to it, which means that they're a trash can, which I think is hilarious. Like, <laughs> oh, I was thinking uh, like an electrical like outlet kind of thing. Uh, I'll I'll let the listeners determine which one I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love calling reactionaries just trash cans. That's that's perfectly fitting. Yeah, I mean, if someone personally believes like our economy was booming under Trump and they were doing well, I'm not going to be the one to convince them they're wrong. Seriously. I also like to push people to history because although history gets skewed a lot, there are definitely some moments that are kind of hard to not see one-sided. And I mean, when it comes to Reagan, when it comes to the Contra affair, to the Mujahideen, all of these historical moments, I like to just kind of give people information about that and recommend they even go further and look into it because I would be really surprised if anyone, no matter how conservative right wing you are, starts looking into the CIA funding Osama bin Laden and thinking, I'm for this. Yeah, no, that's a good point, really. I mean, that probably was one of the most effective ways to do it. If you just give people real history about the U.S. and what it's done in anti-communist efforts or in reactionary efforts in general, that will turn a lot of people. It just won't turn the really hardcore ones who just... The usual reaction if you talk to a right winger, it's just like, oh, well, every country's bad. Oh, well, you just hate America. That's why you're only cherry picking the bad things America does. And like every country is doing bad things. In fact, the rest of them are worse. And America does bad things, but not as many as like whatever country they want to pick, you know. And I always ask them like, hey, I'm, a, I'm open ears too, man. This isn't one sided. Tell me about one of these countries that are doing imperialism. <laughs> and then they just make up some shit about like, I don't know, Kim Jong-un haircuts or some shit. Like I can only imagine. <laughs> And, and then I, I talked to him about that. I talked to him about the DPRK and, you know, hey, even if I don't uh, agree with how their democracy is set up as far as in the in the sense that it is very traditional in the way they vote, you still cannot disagree that it, it is extremely democratic. And I kind of explained that to him and I'm like, hey, I'm not even taking the seat against you here, but here's how it works. Can you actually argue the DPRK is not democratic after I break it down and it normally always goes the same way, even with hard right wingers is, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that is technically democracy. I, I won't argue with that. But yeah, you know, I, I just think that they should at least have access to the Internet first yeah. and then vote. And I'm like, hey, I'm with you. I think we should all be more educated before we vote. You know, let's talk about CNN and Fox News for a second and how <laughs> we're not being educated before we vote on our presidents and what their actual power is. I was about to say, just send them to that fucking Liberty Hangout article that the DVRK is not a monarchy. That's a real thing? Oh, yeah. Like, the worst pe person you know made a correct point. Like, <laughs> they made a whole article debunking that the DPRK is a monarchy because they support monarchies. And they don't want monarchies associated with the DPRK. <sighs> so they make a good argument for all the wrong reasons. All the worst possible yeah. reasons. Like Yes. And you can use that in, to your advantage because if you can just break someone's belief that the U.S. is the shining beacon of freedom and justice, you can leave them to kind of pick up the pieces and decide where they go from there. 
that's why I love that uh, documentary, uh, The Loyal Citizens of Pyongyang in Seoul. And yeah. that dude just sitting outside smoking. He's like, DBRK has the best human rights in the world. He's like, look in America. He's like, you get tiny children getting fucking beat up by fat pigs of cops. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> they just shoot you left and right. And it's like, he's not wrong. Yeah, someone brought up uh, some story about the DPRK. Randomly, we're like joking around about other places we'd like to go. And I was like, I'd absolutely love to visit the DPRK. And he's like, oh, I'd love to do that. And someone else stepped in and was like, oh, you know, I don't think you want to do that. There was a person who uh, got arrested while they were over there recently visiting. And they, when they got arrested, they also got beat by the military police. And they, when they finally got back to the U.S., they only lived for a few months because they had brain damage and ended up dying. And I'm like, what, what happened? It's like, oh, well, they uh, were staying at a hotel, and when they were leaving, they decided they wanted to take a poster with them, so they pulled a poster off the wall, and then trying to exit, they searched their luggage and found out that they were stealing property of the DPRK and got arrested for it. I'm like, hey, probably don't steal while you're in the DPRK. Like, none, none of us are saying that they don't have potentially harsh punishments. I'm not very familiar with it in that sense, but... You know, if you go to the, a place like the DPRK, your first intention should not be, I'm going to fucking lift some shit. But yeah. the, it was funny when they brought it up. I was like, you know, so I guess we are on the same page that very harsh punishment and potentially life-threatening punishment is not acceptable for small offenses. Let me talk to you about the prison industrial complex <laughs> oh, in the U.S. <laughs> Dude, a great example. So... Put some context into that is everything in the DPRK is state owned, so it is government property. Um, here in the U.S., our official stance is any theft or destruction of property can be resulted with deadly force. Yeah. yeah. So how is it very much different than what we got going on over here? Yeah. Why is theirs dystopian and ours isn't? <laughs> Completely agree. And I, I think that is such an important thing to to do when you are debating with people that have these views of these, you know, communist countries and, and, and the like, because we all know that capitalists criticize communism with capitalism, you know, right. what, what capitalism actually does. So I just love any time, which is almost any time someone criticizes communism, there are few opportunities you don't get to give them an exact example of how that's happening in their own country. And like I said, I, I just like to kind of chip away from the belief that one of them is perfect and, and the rest aren't. Yeah, that's what I like to do too, you know, like, because explaining actually existing socialism is one thing, but poking holes in their ideology is way more helpful, especially with like the lack of political education and historical education in the US. You know, you've got to poke holes in their ideology and help move them towards that paradigm shift. You know, it's you're going to do a better job pointing out the flaws in the U.S. to radicalize somebody than explaining why communism is good half the time. Also, Otto Warmbier snuck into a like a classified area. I want to say I, if I'm remembering the story correctly, I, w I want to say it was in the hotel that they were staying at, like his group, his student group. And one of the floors of the hotel was cordoned off for government purposes. I guess the assumption is that it's for surveilling the guests of the hotel because it's a hotel that caters to foreign citizens and everything. So they're surveilling them to make sure they're not bringing in propaganda or whatever. Like, I'm sure it is somewhat authoritarian, which, you know, based. But, like, yeah. they snuck onto that floor and then stole a poster from there. 
So it wasn't just like any poster in like a wall. It was like in like the NSA floor of that hotel, uh, you know, but for Korea. And they stole a, a poster from there. And that's why he got his shit kicked in. So fuck him. Even if you are speculating on whether or not they're doing surveillance or not, it's not unlikely for military to stay in hotels. What do you think our military does when they travel? They stay in hotels. Um, the Wuhan games... They st- stayed in a fucking hotel, the U.S. military from Fort Detrick. Not only that, but like, even if I was trying to defend like the DPRK spying on, you know, people from foreign countries, it's like, okay, the U.S. does that yeah. and they do it from their own country. They spy on all of their own citizens and then they spy on all the citizens of the rest of the world, too. It's like, the fuck? Yeah, it's that's crazy, right? Like the DPRK spying on people within their <laughs> own buildings. Like, man, no. wait till you hear this story about Watergate. Yeah, man, if there were only there was like some dude named Snowden who did like something, <laughs> you know. Oh, man. That's what I wanted to ask you guys since I got you here. Have we come to any kind of determination whatsoever about this Richmond thing? About what thing? The Richmond, Virginia thing. Are we just being oh. spied on by a CIA boss? What's going on here? Me and Will think it's a dunk trying to DDoS attack us. I mean, by giving us a bunch of plays? All right, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I was joking around uh, that the DDoS attack shows up as plays on the podcast feed. Yeah, but my, my thing is you can't DDoS SoundCloud. Like, their servers are capable of taking in billions of plays. Oh, they do. <laughs> and yeah. like, you're going to send 3,000 plays our way to SoundCloud, which isn't even our server? Like, what? It's the, if that is what it is, which I think it's more likely just a server made a mistake and some VPN just read everything in the, in the wrong place. Cause I'll say this, unless they're doing it every day, if you look at our plays, like they peaked and now they're slowing down at the exact rate they should. If all of the plays were real. So that's what's strange is I don't see someone who's like, okay, I'm going to hit you with 3000 and the next day I'm going to hit you with 1500 and then 800 and I'm going to every day step it down like that. That doesn't make sense. So yeah. Yeah, it's probably a server location issue. Probably VPN or maybe something on the recording end. I do want to address it like on the podcast. Like I want to ask our listeners because I want to find out if one of them did this. Um, so just since I may leave this in for our listeners, we we're looking at our play counts, which we sometimes do. We're we're a bit narcissistic. I'm not going to lie, you know. <laughs> so we look at the play counts and we see that we got not only like a large number of plays over what we had been doing in previous weeks. But then specifically on their last couple episodes since the Shay episode, and we just chalked it up to Shay being a popular character. And then Sterling had the bright idea to just look into uh, look into the SoundCloud options for locations. And it tells you where your plays are coming from as far as like the city. And so it's really funny because if you look at the cities, we get like random city in the U.S., 47 plays, a random other city, 38 plays. And then Richmond, Virginia, 3,800 plays, like 100 yeah. times more than any other city in the country um and we don't know what the fuck is going on like did some listener do that did somebody like try to boost our podcast by giving us a bunch of fake listens from a bot um somebody you know trying to take us down with a a really poorly done ddos attack like we have or is it just the feds like or is that the feds base outside of um i don't know where where are they usually located yeah langley like which that just probably made us pop on their servers (laughs) um but yeah, and just to go further, if a listener is listening and they did decide, hey, I like these comrades, I want to help them out, 
I want to buy 3,000 plays for them this week. Um, that's super nice. Uh, let's not do that again. <laughs> yeah, if thanks, but no thanks. Like, <laughs> yeah, if, if you don't mind, please email us and let us know. We're not angry. We're, this has just been driving us crazy for a while now, and we're just trying to figure out what's going on. But the reason we don't want things like that is because we do sometimes uh, look at our plays and see how different episodes are doing because then we can gauge what topics our listeners are more interested in and that shapes yeah. future episodes. So the problem with buying plays on the podcast is we can't truly determine what episodes are getting the most interaction from our real listeners and that may accidentally shape future episodes in the wrong direction. That's not actually what our listeners want. So super appreciative if someone wanted to help us out. Please don't do that again. Um, if anyone has any information or if anyone just has some idea of why uh, we would have a single city with 4,000 plays when every other city does 50 plays a week, um, we'd love to know that too. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I'm racking my brain. I have no clue. I have no good suggestions or good ideas. Anyway, hold on. Let's, uh, let's welcome our guest real quick. How's it going? Sorry to ignore you. Hey guys, how are we doing? How's my audio? Sounds good. Okay. Sounds great. That's awesome. Good. How's everybody doing? How are we feeling? Good. How are you? Good. Oh, excellent. You know, just spent uh, like the last six hours serving coffees, you know, serving smiles. Oh, geez. Oh, all right, no. never mind. I thought I just okay. spilled uh, all of my water all over my electronics, which would have been <laughs> awesome. Um, good start to the podcast. All right. Excellent. Exactly. Destroy my own shit. Awesome. Be ungovernable. <laughs> so, uh, first off, what would you like us to call you? Oh man, I'm a man of many names apparently. Yeah, I keep forgetting to change my shit like every three months. No, anyway, um, yeah, uh, Jewel Works. Um, yeah, as long as you know, you make a distinction. Yeah, the at is Dance Praxis, um, and formerly yeah. known as Comrade Jewel. You know, what I mean, doesn't matter to me. I don't. I don't think I want to make a habit of people calling me like Mr. Dance or Praxis because that feels weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like I'm not no, all of Dance. Don't call Jewel. Sounds good. <laughs> we'll definitely works. have you plug your uh, plug all your links and socials at the beginning. So. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, actually how yeah. I'm going to start off the episode. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about your page and everything and your yeah. interactions with that. But uh, we'll start off the episode that way. I'll wait till we actually get into it proper because this is still just like the pre nice pre show pre show bullshit. Like, nice. I'm, I'm cool. going to be real honest. And I had no idea who you were until I saw your face when you hopped on. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. All right. That's who yeah. it is. Okay. You've definitely seen his stuff. Like, yeah, yeah absolutely. Awesome. Like, dance practices, dance practice. And I'm not really on TikTok a lot. And so I was like, mm. who the fuck is dance practice? Oh, like, man. And then I saw your face. And I was like, oh, shit, that's Jewel from the fucking group yeah. chat. And it's like, I've shared his shit so many times. Like, okay, never mind. All right, I'm dumb. Yeah. 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 I've been wanting to have you on for a while, buddy. You seem like a funny guy. So it feels like it would be I a good shit for hanging out with us. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. And I mean, like, I love your guys' memes. Um, I find myself like sharing your guys' info on Instagram a lot. You know, and I find I think uh, initially we started making we like open points of contact because of either it was like the SRA had a big group chat or some called like the meme committer um, uh, on Instagram. Yeah. Big old group. I chat. made that one. I made a whole bunch of group chats at one point and like I invited all these people and then I got it got to be too big for me to even keep up with. And then we ended yeah. up now everything is like in the discord. And so gotcha. most of the people have migrated over there. But those group chats definitely still exist and they still pop. I'm still in there. You guys have heard about the um, uh, the October 15th strike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I made a few uh, like one or two videos just kind of being like, hey, this might be a good idea. Um, but upon further investigation, uh, it's kind of looking like horseshit. I'm a little not confident um, in that movement. 
just because there's like, you know, no union backing um, yeah. is highly disorganized. But my personal experience, that's just like shit that other people have said. My personal experience was uh, I hopped into the group chat and I was like, all right, what the fuck are these people on? And, you know, I'm seeing them talk and they're like, all right, we got to make sure that it's like apolitical because people are scared of communism and leftism. Oh, and I'm just like, oh, you fucking morons. <laughs> God damn it. Like fuck Jesus all Christ. That. Yeah, let me exactly. simplify it. Don't go to work. That's it. That's it. You don't even need to know anything else. It doesn't even have to work. It doesn't have to do shit. Even if it's just nothing but a free day off fucking work, just don't go to work. Just don't go. You'll be all right. Yeah, fuck work. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go. I mean, I haven't looked into it whatsoever, but I've seen it trending enough that I'm like, hell, they're not going to work. I'm not going to work. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. No, and if you're definitely. not willing to label like the political association of your movement, somebody's going to label it for you. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And that's actually something I was trying to bring up. I was also trying to warn them of like, yo, this is kind of a really easy way for people to co-opt this movement and, you know, sort of defang it. Like the, the more concessions that you make, the more sort of room that you give to be like, oh, yeah, we'll accept less. Oh, yeah, we'll accept less means they're going to give you less, bro. Like, yeah, yeah. go ahead, Sterling. <laughs> and I had a question for you. Because I think you've looked into this more than at least I have. Mm-hmm. What is the general objective of this? I mean, is there like, are they trying to push up the minimum wage? Are they trying to yeah. show work week? Is there kind of a primary objective? They've got, they've got a couple of um, demands right now, which is like a $20, 20 an hour um, minimum wage, I believe four day work week. Um, something about like maternal maternity leave, like paid maternity leave, which is like all these things sound nice and they're better than where we're at right now. Um, but I also think that one, I'm all, I'm always of the 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 mindset ask higher. Real, realistically, we should be asking for way higher. I made a I made a video. It was a joke, but like totally makes sense right now. Four day work week, twenty hours max, sixty nine dollars a fucking hour. That's the type of shit we should be asking for. Yeah. You know, because you know they're gonna knock you down. Exactly. Like, start high. Fuck them. The socialists are the ones that pushed, and the anarchists in the U.S. are the ones that pushed and actually won the 40-hour work week and the five-day work week. I mean, those are socialist and leftist accomplishments in this country. So if anyone has a... If you've got a problem with that, then you've got a problem with what we've already got. I mean, it, it wouldn't have succeeded without some form of companionship and organization and i mean if yep. there's one thing anarchists and socialists can come together on it's, it's definitely organization that's one yes. reason that we shouldn't have too much infighting because sometimes when we when we stop debating whether or not the kulaks were good people uh we come <laughs> together and actually accomplish it Right. <laughs> I like how we've already got to the conclusion that this movement, because it doesn't have a strong centralized ideology, is already opening itself to opportunism. And it's going to fail, but like tell people, still just don't go to work. Because if yeah, everyone I mean, doesn't go to work, then you can't it. get punished anyway. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But it's not going to be it, some like Cesar Chavez shit, you know, where they went on general strike for five fucking years and won their shit. One day is not going to be enough. Yeah. And if you mm-hmm. if you hear of people actually organizing near you and you've now got the day off, go pick up a fucking picket sign. Exactly. Yeah. Go outside. Some comrades. That's some grass.
God, those communists are amazing. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Turn Leftist Podcast. I'm Mike, he, him. And tonight I'm here with Sterling, he, him, and Ward, he, him. And tonight we have a special guest, Comrade Jewel. Uh, Jewel, your pronouns are he, him? He, him, indeed. Yes. Cool. Just making sure. All right, so the first thing I want to start off with, I I will let people know our topic tonight is going to be debunking anti-communist myths. Um, Mm -hmm. We're not going to get into a ton of them because we're already like halfway through our recording time and we spent like the first half of it just kind of shooting the shit, catching up with each other. Mm -hmm. But um, I want to start out with uh, just asking you, Jewel, I want to ask you about your page because I'm a big fan of your stuff. You make these dance praxis videos. That's your your handle on Instagram, right? It's dance praxis? Yep. Um, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. I decided to do sort of like a little uh, rebranding just because, uh, I don't know, Comrade Jewel. It, it was funny, but at the same time, I'm in like two academic papers as Comrade Jewel, and I don't know if I want to keep that as my legacy forever. Okay, that's pretty cool. I had other questions I wanted to ask you, but now I kind of want to ask you that. Like, what are the academic papers you're in and why? Um, I have to look because uh, somebody actually just DM'd me because they're like, uh, I don't know how many followers you had at the time of this interview. And I think it was like 15K. But um, there's an article written about, um, not written about me, but written about the uh, growing political um, sort of niche on TikTok. They um, interviewed me and they also interviewed someone. uh, Their handle was You're Doing Great. uh, Like you are doing great. Mm -hmm. And um, they also did just like straight up like communist. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Content. Right. Like mm-hmm. they were full on out there, just like, I'm a fucking communist. I'm about organizing, you know, and, and when I first started making my stuff, I was basically just like teetering towards that area, but not really just basically being like, yeah, I like Bernie. I like free healthcare. We make enough money that we should be able to take care of our people in a really way more significant way. And I think people should have more democracy in the workplace. So I was kind of, you know, listening to Richard Wolf and like dipping my toes in communism. And then, you know, the, the uh, more you dip your toes into it, the more communist it gets, you know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the uh, hold on, let me find this thing Dan Aaronfield. There we go. So this guy uh, from he's a professor at Stockton University and he's current. He was working on a scholarly book about digital platforms and social change. And so we did like a 30 to 90 minute interview. Um, where they just like went through my content. They're like, what was this about? Why did you do this? And it was basically because I have been, you know, spending a lot of time alienating my friends and family on Facebook with my political you know, positions. And, and relate. you know, it's great. I love it. And, you know, I was also venting my frustrations with this uh, increasing knowledge that humanity, at least the United States and its citizens are kind of at a really weird place in our view of our shared reality. And a lot of that was very existentially terrifying for me. And um, like I said, I made fucking, you know, I would get into like arguments with people about these sort of hot button topics that, and I was just like flabbergasted at the things that people that were in my breathing space were saying. So I was just like, you know yeah. what, fuck this. I'm going to just stop blocking everybody and I'm going to go onto another platform. I found TikTok and I was like, oh, there's, I can make political jokes on here. All right, fine. I'll just get this out. And then people started to like, like it. And I was like, oh shit, let me keep doing this. Oh my God, you did, you did the same thing as me. Like I was so sick of arguing with fucking right-wingers on Reddit and I was like, fuck this, I'm going somewhere where I can block them all. And I went to Instagram and started posting all the memes that I would find anywhere else and then right. garnered a following from it and now I have a fucking podcast just based on that. And it's like, <laughs> right. 
But it's like, it's only because I can block people. Like, my block list is, I think, longer than my followers at this point. It's ridiculous. Hilarious. And, um, and it's yeah. because I just don't want to deal with them. I don't want to deal with right-wingers saying shit. And it's because I think it comes from that same place. It's like you, you live a good portion of your life feeling like you're crazy for holding what seemed to me to be common sense views that we shouldn't right. have people starving in the gutter just because they're not able to generate a profit for somebody else. So like all the just myriad atrocities that are committed upon people by capitalism every day. And just thinking that that's maybe wrong. Maybe we should not do it. Maybe we should think of another alternative system that we could do. Mm-hmm. And you get called the crazy kook, like, Oh, uh, human nature, iPhone, Venezuela, go to uh, Canada, Cuba, Scandinavia, right. DPRK, like whatever the fuck they say. Like, I guess w- what I realized that we've neglected is, I don't think our listeners, if they haven't seen your page, that I don't think they realize what it is that you're doing. So to describe it, I would describe, I would say that you put like some pretty Marxist messages in text over some seemingly unrelated dance music with you either dancing, just kind of, you know, doing some moves or doing some kind of themed acting. Like the one most recently that has been now stuck in my head for a fucking week. Thank you very much for that Kesha song, by the way. But um, <laughs> so you did that video where you had that Kesha song playing. It's very catchy. And then the text said something like, you know, Elon Musk trying to hide once he realized what's for dinner and, you know, scoping out Jeff Bezos's uh, hiding spot as well. And it's you like looking scared, like you're hiding in a house from some people who are trying to eat you. But then also, I think you were also kind of play acting like the people who are searching for them as well. And it's really cool. And it's, you do this all in like 30 seconds. So it's very efficient and it's great. But um, if you could sort of like let us in, like what made you come up with that kind of format for what you're doing to like spread this message? Well, so I went to school for dance. I have um, like danced professionally for a little while uh, doing um, bar mitzvahs. I've done like stage, like theater stuff, work with uh, some like independent dance companies and like one bigger dance company um, called Rennie Harris uh, Raw. Um, There's like the second company of this uh, hip hop uh, dance choreographer. But basically, like, you know, I'm a dance artist, right? And first, I would just take the format of different TikTok memes and politicize them, right? Because it was pretty easy creating like memes. You know, I would make memes on like my uh, shared pages on Facebook, like um, for like breakdancing and like politics and games and stuff, you know, just make stupid shit. There's <laughs> my favorite uh, meme that I've ever made, or at least like the at least image meme that I've ever made was a um, there's this breakdancer named Kid Columbia. Okay. okay, and he one of his entrances is he does. Uh, do you guys know what a gainer flip is? Yes, sort of. But I mean, explain for our listeners because they okay. may not know. Gotcha. So a gainer is when you run forward and you do a backflip and you're traveling forward as you're backflipping. Yeah, it's right? insane. It's nuts. It's so cool to see that in itself. Really cool move. I love doing gainers. They're so fun. I love the reaction people get. Kid Columbia does this thing where he does a gainer, but he goes about halfway through and lands straight onto his chest. Like a like a suicide flip type of move, yeah. you know, it gets a huge reaction. Does it all the time though. It's like his signature thing. Like you see that, you know, it's Kid Columbia. Kid Columbia comes on stage, you know, he's gonna, you know, flip to his chest. It's amazing. Every time I lose my shit, it's great. Anyway, so I was like thinking, oh fuck, there's a meme for this, and so I, I took this image and I put nobody, you know. Kid Columbia. And it's that picture of Lois from Family Guy yeeting herself down the stairs. <laughs> and that that blew up and I was just like, this is fucking great. You yeah. know what I mean, and I learned I found myself learning a lot of interesting information and basically like the breadcrumbs of Google searches and like Wikipedia deep dives that have led me to the point at which I am in my sort of 
worldview, right? Because mm-hmm. like, you know, I would follow like birdie memes and then, you know, these other leftist memes and just kind of kind of like find opinions that I kind of liked. And then I'd be like, oh, what does that word mean? What the fuck is a tanky? Who the fuck? Yeah. Is, yeah, what, yeah. what is the gulag? I don't understand. Why do pe- people keep telling me I'm going to horny jail? This is weird. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> <Like a> mouse. Fucking <laughs> mouse, god damn it. And so it, through, through trying to figure out what this other language meant, I was like, you know, slowly kind of indoctrinating myself. I was like, oh, wait, this guy, Che Guevara, is kind of cool. What did he do? Yeah. He, you know what I mean? Like, Fidel Castro, what? He he slept with what assassin? The CIA? <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? And uh, yeah, that's just kind of where where it was at. Like, I found that I could, you know, learn something through memes and get something, you know, deeper than just a haha funny image cat. Yeah. And I think that something was that was really important to me is like using my art. And I was like, all right, how do we fight? I was I was like, somebody's got to have an idea. Some some communist has to have some sort of talking point about fucking arts and and communism right and they talked about how like capital i found something i think it was marx he was literally like yeah dude you just gotta politicize your fucking art make it specifically fucking communist turn it into into propaganda and speak to the masses because the bourgeoisie art is literally only going to talk to the neoliberal like bourgeois mindset is going to try and convince everybody that this is normality that's not what you got to do you got to just like make your shit completely anti the thing and i'm basically that's, that's a marx direct quote right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a reason like a whole art movement's called socialist realism under the ussr yeah 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 so that's kind of the thing i i i do engaging movements that are for the most part completely unrelated um that just kind of keep people like engaged it's like what the fuck what am i looking at and then at the same time they're like wait what did he just say you know Mm -hmm. and i really like a lot of people are like oh yeah i feel really like happy about the dancing but also the information is terrifying and depressing (laughs) yeah that's what i really like about it in particular like seeing your stuff because it's very shareable it's very like non-offensive like i mean I say non-offensive, like you definitely have some info that will worry people, like you just said. But like, I think what you're doing is even cleverer than the way that we do it. Because like mm-hmm. when Sterling and I decided to start this podcast, he like approached me. He was like, hey, you want to start a podcast? I'm like, yeah, sure. You seem funny. Let's fucking do it. And we were like, how do we do this? Like, what's going to be our, our thing? And we're just like, well, there's no explicitly tanky podcast out there. There's nobody that owns being a tanky, that owns being like that scary, you know, communist that people think are just as bad as the fascists, you know. Um, and we're like, let's just let's just be that since we know that that's not the case. Like we know that we don't actually want to genocide people except for fucking fascists, which not people. So whatever. But like, exactly. we just we saw a lane and we're like, let's do that. And I think in the time we've been doing this, I've sort of realized that I don't have any concrete proof for this. I have no real reason to believe it. But I feel like other podcasts who are in this space that are not explicitly Marxist or not or don't own being a tanky or don't use it as a, as a shtick like we do. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably still are Marxists, but they're just a little better at cloaking that because mm-hmm. it then yeah. will reach out to a wider audience. And mm-hmm. I feel like they just do a little better job of like keeping out of the the sights of the feds and maybe keeping them outside of like a, a DHS jail, which <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's our direction that we're going in because we were too dumb to think, oh, that's why people cloak it instead of just saying it outright. I don't know, but mm-hmm. that's going to be the first podcast trip. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guys on Trash yeah, Future, they've, they've, they've got a handful of Marxist-Leninists on it, but they don't come out and call themselves Marxist-Leninists on the podcast. You just pick up breadcrumbs while they're talking about Tesla and other random exactly. ass shit and you get a few laughs and then you know they they make a comment and you're like oh that's it that's a fucking tanky isn't it yeah yeah but mo- right, most right. people don't don't get that and I think that was kind of our point is uh, fuck all this beating around the bush shit yeah I think that there is a a necessity to not backing down on like the fact that we should just name ourselves what we are because they're going to come after us either way. Yeah, you're you going to get called I mean? a communist, so just be a fucking communist. And Exactly. You know, time will tell in our case if that was a wise decision and if the, the random 3,000 plays from Richmond, Virginia are actually the feds or, uh, or just some <laughs> random bot. We'll see. But, uh, we'll find out. Oh, no, it's like they, that's just the entire State Department listening to, the, to your episode. Like, and these guys are threat. <laughs> and they all got their own computers for some reason. They didn't sit there in an auditorium and check it out. <laughs> Must be COVID. Yep. Oh um, all right, so I guess let's get into the topic at hand tonight, if you guys want yeah, to let's do start it. talking about actually debunking anti-communist beliefs. So I'll start out. I'll just say we're not going to debunk every anti-communist myth tonight. That's definitely not going to happen. Um, oh, well, then I, I denounce this podcast. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I know we spend a lot of time here on the show where I read out stuff like facts and details of historical events, but I wanted to take a more lighthearted approach tonight. Uh, like I said, we have a fun guest here with us who isn't necessarily like a red fash tanky like the rest of us here. Maybe I'm gullible or I'm easily convinced, but I went. Uh, so let me just give you a really, really quick rundown of my political sort of uh, awakening over the last 10 years. Right. Mm-hmm. So basically, for the most part, I would just kind of parrot whatever I heard my parents say that I thought wasn't complete and utter bullshit, which at the time I was really stupid. So there was still a lot of complete and utter bullshit in there. Perfectly mm-hmm. fine. They, they are who they are. I'm trying to get them to see a therapist. It's terrible. They're both Trump supporters. <laughs> they go to rallies. It's oh, terrifying. God. It's the worst. Anyway, 10 years ago, they were both a little bit less crazy. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe nostalgia. But for the most part, I was like, you guys are kind of dicks. And you also say stupid shit like Obama's a, you know, a Muslim, Kenyan. Muslim Kenyan, you know, then that doesn't make any sense. But he does suck for reasons that I, you know, still hold to this day. Like, I really didn't like the fact that he was like, oh, yeah, we're going to get out of the Middle East. And then we didn't. And yeah. you know, that was like a big thing. Where, um, and so from the outside looking in, I was a Republican, but not a dick about it. Direct quote from some friends from college. Nice. But, you know, around early 20s, end of, end of my teen years, uh, I started getting into a lot of psychedelics. And... Um, I watched uh, Spirit Science, and which is just, I don't know if you've, it's a thing that was sort of viral when it came out, but basically it's a whole bunch of woo-woo bullshit, humans are aliens from a bunch of different planets, uh, Jews are from space, uh, Lemuria, uh, Atlantis, you know, psychic power, shit like that. Yeah. And I was like, I watched that for like a week, and I was like, this is kind of cool because I don't fuck with like Christianity and it's kind of like a, you know, there was like a world history, like from a religious perspective or spiritual perspective. And from a narrative standpoint, it was actually mildly entertaining. I was like, what the fuck? Jesus and Anubis hung out once. What? You know, but anyway, hold on one second. Sterling, what do you get? I, I just want to say real quick that, you know, I, I'm an atheist myself. And one thing I always keep in mind because anyone can kind of go down a rabbit hole is 
atheism is not anti-Christianity. Atheism is anti-dogma. And so I keep that in mind because all kinds of stuff like that, I mean, you're still just getting into dogmatic practices and beliefs. And to me, I'd just rather be out doing praxis. Yeah, right. Being being much Dancing. more... Cons- <laughs> Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a bunch of like spiritual woo-woo type shit. And it worked really well with my, you know, fried brain from all the mushrooms. And relate. Um, but once I came out of that, I was uh, fucking... I found another YouTube channel that was called Why I Laugh at Spirit Science, and it was a science teacher who would go through it and be like, all of these terms don't make any sense. This is how you can look at this and, you know, look at these definitions and just understand that you're being sold bullshit. You know what I mean? And so I started learning basically for self-defense how to spot bad arguments, how to see when somebody is shifting goalposts, how to see when someone is do like what a red herring is, or like seeing how somebody, someone can use a bunch of facts uh, and just basically learn, like learn better fact checking. Cause I really sucked at it at the time, even though I was like a college student, I fucking sucked at uh, citing my sources. <laughs> I was horrible. It was the worst. So, you know what I mean? Like I was just very, you know, that that's, a, that's what I tell Christians you know, and anyone who believes in things like this is I'm just like, who cares? What if you were right? What if you were right? And there's this fucking sky daddy up there and, you know, you're right. going to earn, earn yourself a, a giant plantation on ivory steps. And who the fuck cares, man? There is real shit happening in this world that needs to be addressed. Like we live on a horrible planet. I mean, yeah. we live on a great planet that we're treating horribly right. with with just incredible real life material conditions that you can have an effect on, but you want to mm-hmm. run around with this. What if bullshit? And that's my thing. It's like, I don't even give a fuck if you are right. Fuck it anyway. Right. Yep. All right. Yeah. So cool. Let's anyway, get back to uh, <laughs> communist myths. <laughs> bad. No, I mean, this is what I wanted to happen. Like I, like I said, like I started off saying, I wanted to take a lighthearted approach tonight because there's no shortage of like serious sources. Like if you actually want to debunk communist myths or anti-communist myths, there is a million videos on YouTube. There's literally the one that I watched in preparation for this and took a couple of things from, which was debunking every anti-communist myth ever. And it's nice. like a 45 minute video by, I think it's spooky commie. Um, I know that they're on all the platforms. They're on Instagram. I follow them there. Oh, they're on nice. YouTube. Yeah, they're great. There. Okay. Uh, w- sorry. I didn't hear you. Sterling. Oh, I, I just I think I know who you're talking about. And I was like, oh, is it her? But then you kept saying there. So I, I take it they're using those pronouns. I actually don't know. I'm just saying they because okay. it sounded like a guy, but I also don't want to assume anybody's pronouns. I'm just saying they. But like, yeah, okay, maybe, I, may, I may be thinking of someone else on Twitter I follow. But regardless, it's a, it's a, commies. yeah, it, it's a good video. And I would recommend it for anybody who actually wants to get into like the nitty gritty of debunking all these things. But I mean, that being said, there's a million videos and a million other, you know, sources. But I will say, if you really want like a thorough and more dry account that's more about the facts and less concerned with being funny or entertaining, then just come join our Discord. I've been meaning to bring it up for a while because I was so impressed by the amount of resources that Ward has compiled in our library on the Discord server, explaining the truth about socialist people and socialist countries, past and present. But so I guess the last thing I would say before we get into actually debunking these myths is that the intent of these myths is not to convince people who have critical thinking skills like that's not who these things are for like these are made for the type of people who think that climate change is fake and that bitcoin is going to take down the u.s government by like destroying the federal reserve or something like they're not for people who are able to do like basic pattern recognition of how 
humans in large groups behave. And then mm-hmm. use that ability to reasonably judge that no society would ever be able to function with the type of nightmarish conditions attributed to communist states and last long term. Like it just mm-hmm. wouldn't work. Like people would revolt or it would just collapse. Like it's not how it would work. So the right. purpose of this tonight isn't to try to convince anyone listening. Like obviously, if you're here, you're already a leftist of some type. It's just to be able to give you some talking points if you ever do make the mistake of getting into an argument about these things with somebody, which I don't recommend that you do. Because really, like, if you think that you're going to convince somebody who unironically believes these myths and you think you're going to convince them by, I don't know, showing them a bunch of facts and data and like primary source documents and evidence in PDF format, then I have some uh, really interesting investment opportunities in the cryptocurrency space that you should DM me about. I'll tell you all about it. Yeah, these are just the one liner like talking points that are fed to people who can't think critically for themselves. Yeah, basically. I shared the CIA, the CIA release document on the uh, health conditions and the average consumption of food in the USSR. And Mm -hmm. the person still just dug through it until they could find a few lines that helped their argument. Like, okay, well, then you're just, I guess, a CIA fed. I don't know. Like, I'm just giving you something that even the CIA admitted to that is pro-USSR, and you're looking for something else in here that can discredit this document. Like, it's not it's not even worth it because they they don't take that information and say oh damn you're right (laughs) oh damn let me adjust my worldview now that i've been presented with new information that never fucking happens it never ever happens like oh my god and i wish i'd learned that lesson (sighs) there's there's oh have you ever seen there's a twitter thread where a woman is like did you know i know exactly what you're gonna say sending people articles doesn't fucking actually change their minds because humans are like emotional and blah blah blah. Some dude's like, nah man, that's not true. And then she sends him articles about that very thing. And he's like, nah man, I still think it's it's true. <laughs> of course, dude. Of course. I love it. Oh, I love it. Science creates art when you can observe human behavior. That's some good thing. Let's start with the first and foremost. Most important myth about communism. Okay. Haircuts in the DPRK. <laughs> I put that one first for a reason. It's the most important. Forget anything about human nature or commies killing billions. It's the haircuts. So let me just say the haircut law in the DPRK <laughs> never existed. The claim is that everyone in the DPRK, every man in the DPRK was required to get the same haircut as Kim Jong-un. But also the claim was that no man in, in the DPRK was allowed to get the same haircut as Kim Jong-un. They're, they have both been publicized in uh u.s media what do you got word like that would be such a bad thing i think that's a pretty sweet ass fucking haircut i mean you almost have it dude you almost have that haircut like eventually getting there (laughs) yeah one day the supreme leader so the only problem with this haircut law is that it never existed the original the original source for it is an is an article by radio free asia Now, Radio Free Asia, for anyone unfamiliar, is a U.S. government-funded organization whose only purpose is to put out anti-communist propaganda disguised as journalism. They're one of the main sources for all the propaganda about the so-called genocide of Uyghur Muslims in China, the other source being Adrian Zenz. And it's not a credible source. Um, Ward's going to get into more about the Uyghurs later if I I let him. (laughs) But... um, and you might think, but Mike, you can't just attack the source and try to discredit them. That doesn't address any of the facts that they're actually citing, right? right? But the problem is they don't cite any facts. The original article that all this stems from relies on unnamed sources and quotes pulled out of thin air. There's no one actually attributed to any of these quotes. They're just quotes given with no source and then no sources to actually back any of this up. But despite the fact that none of this information can be verified, it was still repeated as fact by American media. 
you can find a great video on uh, YouTube. Um, we go to the DPRK to get a haircut where they yeah. absolutely completely debunk it. Yeah, it's two dudes from like Australia that just go to the DPRK to get a haircut. I did watch that one. It's pretty wow. good. It's fantastic. I highly recommend. That, see, that's always felt like kind of cartoony to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know the first time that I heard that, but I knew I do know that like idea in the back of my head. And, and for for everything that leads personally, everything that leads you down, at least for me, a leftist world view should at least put you in the perspective that that's. That sounds kind of like horseshit. That sounds exactly. a little crazy. Why yeah. would a uh, like that seems like such a meaningless way to exact power uh, upon a populace that honestly feels so absurd that it, it should create riots. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? That's just dumb as shit. Why would you? Are you a baby? Are you a child? You think that that this guy really doesn't want anyone having the same? Oh my lord! What's up? Are you yeah, no, my favorite part of the whole forced haircuts allegation is that that is absolutely pure projection because after the Korean War in South Korea, they forced all the men who had long hair at the time to get haircuts. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you're touching on an important point, Ward, that I think we're going to probably see as a pattern if we continue to debunk these. But what's important to point out is the ridiculousness of these anti-communist myths. And I think mm -hmm. the DPRK is the best one as far as an example, because it's such a closed off society and there's no media like transfer. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to sow disinformation and not have any kind of ver verifiable counter to it. I think part of the reason that they're so ridiculous and so laughable and just outlandish is because the stuff that is actually bad, is actually effective and is actually going on is occurring in the Western world and is mm -hmm. being done by capitalists and capitalist governments. And so you have to find even more ridiculous shit to scare those people who are already undergoing that totalitarian lifestyle. Um, right. Wait, are just, you telling me that the DPRK didn't actually discover unicorns? <laughs> I had to really pick and choose about listing like the ones in here for the DPRK because there's the ones like saying the people in DPRK all believe that um, not Kim Jong-un, but his father, Kim, um, Kim Jong-il, yeah, mm. that he that every time he golfed, he would shoot a perfect score of 18, like 18 holes in one, like the entire course. Mm -hmm. um, that every time he bowled, he would bowl a perfect gain of 300. Mm -hmm. And that he, you know, something about unicorns. I know that they're, I don't even know what the unicorn one is. Do you, do you, Ward? Oh, yeah. So like uh, Radio Free Asia, again, was reporting from an, un, like anonymous sources that they had confirmed a, like the unicorn lair like a mystical unicorn lair in the DPRK that like yeah. it was some fucking cave in the side of a mountain and it had like oh. engraved in like above the top of the entrance was like unicorn lair or some shit. It was so fucking ridiculous. Sounds like the kind of shit you hear US people saying all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Flat earthers. Yeah. 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 Bigfoot I mean, enthusiasts. Bigfoot, yeah. The uh, Mothman. Let me take a second and welcome Jaren since Jaren has joined us. Welcome Jaren. Yo, Jared. what's going on? Good to see you, buddy. What's up? Good to see y'all too. Missed you. What's up, Sterling? Jaron, Jewel, Jewel, Jaron. Good to meet you, man. Good evening. How's it going? Good, good. I'm already enjoying this conversation so far. I, I, yeah, we're diving right in, buddy. We're getting into some of the good ones. I start. I mean, we've been at it for over an hour now, and we just got to the first myth, and we talked about it for all of thirty seconds. What? Like, so just so you know, I started off with the haircuts in the DPRK. That's the most important 
anti-communist myth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, I think if there's any verifiable thing for the DPRK that we can like conclusively come to just using rational thought as Americans is like, okay, mm-hmm. they literally held up a bag of what looked like flour in Congress, and we went to war with Iraq for 20 years because of that, yeah. under the suspicion of, of weapons of mass destruction. And then the DPRK literally has a new program and we haven't invaded them for that when they have verifiable weapons of mass destruction. Right. You know, w- which we have too. And so does Israel and, uh, you know, every fucking body else. But like you logic <laughs> would dictate that we would have had boots on the <laughs> ground there already based mm-hmm. just solely on that, uh, based on how we treated Iraq. So like the, the whole narrative of what is and what is not the DPRK from our standpoint here in the West is like, like you were already saying, it's unverifiable for one, and it's probably based on lies uh, for two. And though I'm sure there's no connection here, but imagine if the DPRK also had oil. <laughs> for, whatever, for whatever reason, those two things together are very mm. dangerous. <laughs> They're very lucky that all they have is potatoes up there. Which you got, Ward, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> or imagine like we had like U.S. senators on the floor of the Capitol building on live TV saying that we would like to use the Libya model on the North Korea. Oh God! Mm. Dark. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'll show my ass out here. I'm not even sure what they really mean by the Libya model. Like, um, so with Gaddafi, because Gaddafi, Gaddafi, yeah, when Gaddafi oh, okay. uh, had his nuclear program, the U.S. was like, um, "You need to fucking dismantle your nuclear program," and he's like, "No, you guys are going to fucking overthrow me." And they're like, "No, we won't. Just go ahead okay. and dismantle no. it." So he does, and he got overthrown by CIA-backed insurgents. Yeah, that's funny. I was aware of that entire situation, but I was not aware that it was called the Libya model. Like the yeah. fact that it's just that much of a handbook for them. Otherwise known yes. as trust me, bro. <laughs> let's do another uh, let's do another myth. Let's see if we can skip out of the DPRK. Um, more myths. Let's go. Oh, you know what? No, let's let's do one more in the DPRK. So this is just a gen- generally touching on the idea of Kim Jong-un being a dictator or a monarch or you know, DPRK having a monarchy or just not being a democratic system whatsoever. So we recently discussed how democracy works in Cuba and how it's objectively more democratic than places like the U.S. with their community level councils that can affect policy all the way up to the national level and the way that they nominate candidates with nearly full participation of all of the citizens involved. And also just the role that money and media don't play in their election cycle. So despite all these objective facts, Cuba is still called the dictatorship by the U.S. media. Would it surprise you in any way to think that democracy in the DPRK isn't exactly what you've been led to believe? That it is not really a monarchy headed by a cartoonishly evil tyrant with a huge state apparatus at his disposal to spy on his people and root out any dissenters so they can be crushed. I do have here, I wanted to get into that image of the positions in the DPRK and how they're held by multiple different people while here in the US they're held by the same person except I lost the fucking image. I don't know what I did with it. I think most people are familiar with that on the left. You would hope. Yeah, like things that are like second nature to me, like videos I've seen countless times and I've shared mm-hmm. to somebody and they're like, oh, I've never seen this before. I'm like, oh, okay. Shit. <laughs> That's a good point. All right, so... Yeah, I feel like I'm learning some shit right now. Just bit. to compare, I'll share this picture in the episode notes if anybody wants to see it, but I'll try my best okay. to describe this visually. So on the left column, we have the United States of America. On the right, we have the DPRK. And so on the left, the head of state, the executive head, the head of the military, 
the head of the party, the legislative head, and the highest legislative powers are all the same person. They're all the president of the United States. So when this graphic was made, these were all Donald Trump. Now, these are all different people in the DPRK. There's the head of state, the premier of the DPRK. That is a vacant position. No one has held that position uh, since 1994. And that's, I believe, when Kim Il-sung died, if I'm mm-hmm. remembering correctly. Then they have the executive head, which is the prime minister of the cabinet. They have the head of the military and the head of the party, who is also Kim Jong-un. So two of those positions are occupied by the same person. They have the legislative head, who is the president of the Supreme People's Assembly. And then they have the highest legislative powers. And that is non-existent because they have a single vote system. So they don't even have the power of the veto like we do here in the U.S. Because that's what they're comparing it to. They call the highest legislative power in the U.S. the veto. And then that just does not exist in the PRK. And then they go on to list um, judicial heads, head of foreign policy, vice foreign heads, uh, heads of domestic lands. Sorry, this graphic is a little blurry. It's hard to read. Head of education and head of healthcare. Those right. are all different people here in the U.S. And they're all different people uh, in the DPRK as well. So at least in that respect, it is um, somewhat democratic here in the U.S. Although just the fact that so many positions can be held by the president and they are all held by different people in the DPRK. I'm um, sorry, would you have words? No, I was just saying, like, what's really interesting, especially when you look into all those positions, is that the legal highest political position is not held by Kim Jong-un. I can't remember which designation that you listed is the highest, but it's not Kim Jong-un. Oh, yeah, it's like, it, well, I mean, Kim Il-sung is like the eternal president, and they've just left his position vacant since he died. Yeah, so that is more as a immortalizing tribute, more than a, like, actual followed legal precedent um, just because of how great General Kim Il-sung's contributions to the founding of North Korea and his contributions against Japanese imperialism and U.S. imperialisms were to the foundation of the DPRK. Yep. But I mean, I will say I don't have a whole lot written on it. I don't really have anything written on it, but the, the structure of elections and everything in DPRK is actually very similar to Cuba. They have neighborhood councils, they have regional councils, and these all funnel upward into the national legislature. And so it's actually a, more of a direct democratic system than we have even here in the U.S. And it, we just have to paint it as if it's a, a dictatorship and a monarchy because you have to make other systems seem worse to lift up your own. That's just basically what how that works. It is a dictatorship. A dictatorship of the proletariat. Based. <laughs> What's up, Jared? I can't really speak on um, you know, the efficacy of... of councils and and things in the DPRK, you know, funneling upward in terms of democracy. But I can say that the U.S. is almost empirically at a democratic disadvantage because we operate under the pretense of capitalism. So what I mean by that is, yeah, you can theoretically get an, uh, you know, an office seat no matter where you come from, but that's beside the point that there is a monetary prerequisite. In other words, if you don't have the resources to contribute to a campaign, if you don't have the same money to put towards a campaign as your opponent, which is usually incumbent and they usually have private industry in their back pocket, Mm -hmm. whether or not your ideas are better than your opponents, you will lose because Mm -hmm. you don't have that monetary prerequisite. We have democracy only insofar as the people that have privilege, i.e. money already. So it's uh, rotating seats is all it is. And no matter what, whoever's in those seats is the person generally that had more campaign funding, which means more lobbying when it really comes down to it. So, I mean, even in places like the Soviet Union, I don't know much about the DPRK, but with the Soviet system, 
yeah, there was absolutely corruption, you know, in, in their legislatures, but it had very much less to do with the implied aristocracy that capitalism has. It had very much more to do with how the system morphed regionally over time. And I, that's just part of why democracy and capitalism are antithetical to each other. They cannot coexist because no matter what, whoever has the money has the louder voice. And that's the end all. Yeah, look at this space, uh, Jewish space laser lady, you know? Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Hey. High school dropout, but she got all the funding from the right people, and she's a fucking senator. I don't know. Yeah. Exactly oh, what she does. I don't pay attention to her. Sterling, oh, you, you, Sterling, you had something. What was that? I was going to add to what Jaron said, but I could not possibly do any more justice than that. <laughs> bars, bars, yeah. past As usual. <laughs> yeah. The last thing I have here about the DPRK is LGBT rights in the DPRK. So I guess it's probably a common myth. I actually don't know if I've heard this from many people who would criticize communist states. They usually tend not to care about LGBT rights to begin with unless they're doing it cynically. To (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's literally the only time that people on the right will care about LGBT rights is when they want to decry communist states for not caring about them, even though they don't Mm -hmm. care about them. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, we went over that more of an anarchist talking point. Yeah, kind of. LGBTQ rights are communism, according to most of these people. Right. Yeah, exactly. So there are no laws regarding LGBTQ people in the DPRK. There's also no prostitution or pornography in the country, but there's just no laws regarding this because mostly what it comes down to is cultural issues. So it's like difficult to translate it for Westerners, but the topic of sexuality for Koreans belongs entirely in the sphere of private life. Um, You could chalk this up to being conservative or reserved in some way, but as weird as it seems to us to not be open and public about your sexuality, it would seem just as odd and inappropriate for them to do so. Like in public, you would literally just not see displays of affection between couples, heterosexual or otherwise. Uh, Hugs and handshakes, yes, but beyond that, you would not see any public displays of affection. And I believe this is true somewhat for South Korea. I'm sure it's a little different because it's a capitalist country and is very much influenced by the U.S., but... I think just Korean culture in general is a little more reserved in this respect, but the DPRK is very much so. Um, and it's just a cultural thing. It's not that they are discriminating against anyone. They just have a different value system and at mm-hmm. least they apply it consistently. Um, so it's like people in Korea are generally just very shy and these topics would only be discussed with very close friends or family. Mm-hmm. What's up, Sony? Like you said, it's, it's not only not illegal to be part of that community, you know, there, there are a lot of same-sex couples in the DPRK. They even sometimes live together. There are rules to it. They can't get married in the same way that a, a man and a woman can get married there. But it's one of those things. It's, it's kind of like a don't ask, don't tell. But there's two guys that are kind of rooming and people kind of know what's going on. People just respect them and leave them alone. And... I'd also like to add one more thing. This is a great opportunity to remind people you can critically support uh, communist countries or, and, and even to small degrees if you'd like to. If I were to build a communist government and a communist uh, country and institute the laws, it wouldn't come out looking like the DPRK. wouldn't come out looking like Cuba. Probably not the USSR. It probably wouldn't come out looking like anything else. But again, I'm just one guy. So... You can be supportive of these things without thinking you have to defend everything they do to the bitter end. And I I think that's a very important thing. It's like just because we're not saying the DPRK is a monarchy fascist, blah, 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 and we're actually defending it and saying they are democratic, they are communist, does not mean that we believe in the way they go about 
LGBTQ uh, rights. Mm -hmm. But also, I feel like there is a yeah lack of evidence to say that there is you know like you said any direct like discrimination in this in this place and the idea of like projection and analyzing the projection in American politics seems to be a thing people have their fucking like noses almost on mm -hmm. you know what I mean but like mm -hmm. they're not quite there yet but you know it's like really weird when it's like hey these fuckers hate gay people and it's like dude didn't didn't you used to like sick the cops on like gay clubs all the time and like beat the shit out of them you fucking yep. guys like that's fucking weird man i don't know i don't know if i trust that you you know what i mean i don't trust you <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like they're saying it cynically because they just want to criticize leftist countries and they don't actually really care about lgbtq rights but whatever uh sorry yeah. let me go with um ward first and then jaren yeah, I just wanted to add a little context to like the um, like the culture of the DPRK. Like, it wasn't until like the last decade or two that like colorful clothes became like a normal thing in the DPRK. Just because they're just so culturally reserved, like everybody wore dark colors and like dark grays and blacks. Like that was just the cultural norm. That's what everybody wore. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until the last, last couple decades where it's like. Man, everybody wears like colorful stuff now. Like they still don't wear jeans, but like they wear like nice fucking colorful like slacks and blouses and shirts now. Like a lot of pastels. Like that's something very new to the DPRK. And just to add a little bit of context to their culture there. Would you have Jaron? So playing off of Sterling's point, a couple thoughts. One yeah, obviously, critical support is important. The only thing that, you know, I would like to see from some modern socialist states are, uh, yeah, you, you should have anti-discrimination laws for the LGBTQ plus community. You should have, get, you should give them the right to be married, to adopt, to have in vitro. And a lot of modern socialist, socialist states don't do that. But at the same time, it's really hard to criticize for where they're at because, just as an example, the United States has not banned conversion camps where kids go to be shamed and eventually commit fucking suicide. And China, who is more regressive towards LGBTQ plus people in many ways than the U.S., has banned those camps. Mm -hmm. So there's like there's there's a very strange scale where it's like in China. No, you can't adopt the kid if you're gay, but you also won't get sent to a conversion camp when you're a teenager and be told that you're a sinner and end up fucking killing mm. yourself. Whereas yeah. Yeah. if you're in Utah, that's absolutely a thing. So, you know, the, the treatment of that community worldwide is still completely fucked up. And absolutely. at the very least, modern socialist states have the dialectical, you know, uh, movement to improve on such models. Whereas the U.S., we're so tied down in religious dogma that we still have like what is it? Uh, the Baptist church that goes and harasses people around the country. And that's completely okay. Yeah. So like, Fuck I don't really want to hear Westerners talk about how the East is bad towards gay people when we still have this shit and it's protected literally mm -hmm. and enshrined literally in our constitution. Yeah. 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 And, mm -hmm. and that's a, when they go and fuck with gay people, like when I was on the road with the Indigo girls, they followed us. They fucking followed us and they probably wrote off their gas mileage as a tax write off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, when I was getting into the 
far left, I guess you want to call it, you know, just the authoritarian left, if we want to, again, bring up the fucking mm-hmm. political spectrum. But like, when you start getting into that, what you got, Sterling? I, I just want to, Jaron, you said Utah, right? Because I, I, I think you said Utah. Yeah. And yeah, and you chose that very specifically. That's the Mormon state. And yes, I did. Even even go to Salt Lake City, which is looked at as a fairly liberal city. It's a very big city, a very modern city. Go to Salt Lake City and watch a same a same sex couple kiss, and just watch in a city that modern and that liberal what happens. That's what goes down in the U.S. Like we mm-hmm. have not got away from that shit here. Oh yeah. Not I, I just wanted to echo that because I, I knew you mentioned that specific state for a very specific reason. No, there's a lot to be said for cultural views that are just held by people that are not enforced by the government or by any kind of authority in any way, just because that's what everybody in the area holds as far as their views are concerned. And then when it comes to material conditions, like what I was going to say is that when I started getting into the the leftist space that we're in now, what I had heard about quote-unquote tankies before was that they're just as bad as fascists that they also hate gay people that they also hate minorities and that they will persecute them and put them in camps just as badly as fascists would and i'm like well that Mm. seems really weird like i never understood when i was a liberal like why is it that extremes on both sides end up in the exact same places but then they still don't agree with each other like why are they getting to the same ends but for different reasons like why are they both coming up with concentration camps um you know for jews and gay people and minorities if they right. supposedly don't agree with each other. It didn't make any sense. Right, and then you exactly. realize if you, if you actually talk to any tankies, even like the scariest ones you can find who have no concern for LGBT rights or minority or like identity concerns or whatever, um, mm-hmm. it's not that they hate these people that they want to persecute them. It's just that they don't see it as an important struggle. They see class struggle above all else. And we would call these people the class reductionists. And those are yeah. like... I guess you call them like the most vulgar Marxists, or maybe they think that they are orthodox Marxists, although I would disagree with that because I feel like Marxism takes identity into account because it's part of class struggle, but whatever, not to get too far down that rabbit hole. But my point is, mm. even if you were to try to decry these socialist states and everything as being just as bad as the reactionary parts, you can't even make that case honestly because I, would, I just don't think it's as bad to be ignored and left alone as it is to be on paper celebrated by all the companies who put on the rainbow flags in their logo in June, and then you still materially have worse conditions than, than straight people because you've been discriminated against for decades because you can't get the jobs that you want to get because you can't move up in the way you would like to because you, can't, you don't have access to the things that you would like to have access to because of cultural discrimination that exists and is not going away despite whatever you know, official messages are being put out by media or government or businesses. You know what I mean? Like that's the situation here in the U.S. is that gay people are still being discriminated against, whether we want to admit it or not, or pretend that that's not the case. And, you know, in a country like the DPRK or any socialist country, they may not be getting the celebration uh, culturally that Westerners would like to see, but their material conditions are improved. They're actually getting better jobs and better wages and better health care and better services from the state. And so, I, I mean, I'll leave it up to you guys. I'm not a gay person myself. I'm not in a minority community to decide whether that's the better way. but it seems to me like there is something to be said for that. And if it's not a full on defense of it, I feel like it's just something that should be taken into account. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a country where in middle school and in high school, words that associate with same sex couples were used derogatory to insult each other, even when it had nothing to do with any of the people actually being 
a homosexual. And it's yeah, like mm-hmm. that. It, we, we grew up in very shitty traditions as well. Right. Yeah. Like how many people do you still know that like, will be like, Oh, that's so gay when they mean that's lame. Yep. Very casually. It's very strange. A lot yeah. of people, I hear it way too often. It's painful. You guys yeah. want to do, let's see. At the pace we're going, we're going to get through like three debunks tonight, which is fine with me. But I, I have time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hang on. I'm chilling. We can do four. We want to do, um, let's do the like, commies killed a hundred million. Let's do oh, the that one. I, we have to hit that one. I mean, that it's like the best. I love that one. I, I was ironically putting the haircuts first, but this is really the number one, right? Like commies kill billions. Yeah. For me, I don't think they killed enough, but okay. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Jewel. Have you ever seen, I don't know if the, the validity of this image, but it is a picture of a man mid backflip with a tomahawk in his hand. There's a yes. target about 10 feet away from him. And it says Soviet era soldier doing backflip tomahawk. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, that's exactly how the communists got 100 million kills, dude. <laughs> backflip tomahawks. They were getting nukes and fucking double kill bonuses. Oh my God, they were... Next level pro gamers, yeah, back to the tomahawk <laughs> throwers and female snipers. That's how we did it. Oh, yeah, mm. well, Ludmilla Sterling, what were you gonna say? I don't remember. <laughs> oh, no, I, I remember. I, I don't even remember the exact context, but I, I, someone in one of these Facebook group chats I'm in was making a con was like throwing you know some typical uh 100 million death and all this, and I was like, okay, so uh. Fascism is when kill the Nazis. Got you. Okay, I'm following. Fuck, yes, I really am a fascist now. Fuck. Shit. Fuck. <laughs> Red fascist. Got it. Okay. All right, so more specifically, the yeah. 100 million thing. Uh, Solzhenitsyn is the guy mm. who is often credited, is the one credited for the commies killed 100 million thing. He has often been mistaken for being thrown in jail for criticizing Stalin. Considering outright anti-Semitism was illegal in the Soviet Union due to the threat of fascism, Solzhenitsyn was an anti-Semite himself, and that's why he was put in prison when he was in the, in the USSR. Um, but the Black Book of Communism itself has been debunked a ton of times. Again, this is another thing that there are dozens of YouTube videos about, websites, articles, entire books written about why the 100 million number is an obvious exaggeration and a purposeful misrepresentation of the facts. So Furet, I guess is one of the authors, had been initially tapped to write the introduction to the book, but after his death in July 1997, the task fell to the editor, Stéphane Courtois, um, who asserted that there were 100 million worldwide victims of communism. Almost immediately after the book's publication, however, two of the prominent historians contributing to the volume, Jean-Louis Margolin and Nicholas Wirth, asked Stéphane Courtois in an article published in Le Monde, stating that they disagreed with his vitriolic introduction and its overt political agenda. Mergelin and Wirth disavowed the book, claiming that Courtois was obsessed with reaching a figure of 100 million, and that this led to sloppy and biased scholarship. They further claimed that Courtois wrote the book's introduction in secret, refusing to circulate to the other contributors. They rejected Courtois' equation of Nazism and communism, with Wirth telling them on that, quote, death camps did not exist in the Soviet Union. Which is the case. Gulags were not death camps. Whatever people believe, like, there was a maximum sentence of, I believe, five years, or it may have been ten but the point is that there was a maximum sentence for right. everyone who was in a gulag. I mean, you can only wish for that for American prisons. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the closest thing to a death camp in the USSR was that like Cannibal Island I brought up on oh, a yeah, that previous was episode. 
Yeah, where they just sent a shit ton of anti-revolutionaries to this, like, basically barren island with, like, minimal supplies. And was like, all right, here you guys go. And they couldn't survive, and they started eating each other. You got seven? My favorite response to this, because obviously it comes up a lot, you know, communism killed, the USSR specifically killed hundreds of millions of people, is show me. I mean, straight up, like, okay, then show me, because if we're talking about what the Nazis did to the Jewish people, I can show you videos, I can show you photos, I can show you entire fucking museums dedicated to actual shit. You can see with your fucking eyes of it happening. You can go get a book signed by people who are still touring about their personal experiences underneath uh, these encampments within the Nazi Germany. It, there is so much proof in, in abundance when it comes to Nazi Germany and, and what they did to the Jews. And yet, we have nothing of that of the USSR. I mean, it yeah. just, just think about, like, we were talking about Cuba. Like, how many voices that stem from families who were kicked off of the island and exiled because they deserved it. How many of these families, we have voices in the United States today talking about their families' experiences and trying to talk about it and justify, you know, X, Y, Z, but we at least have the voices to prove that that actually happened in Cuba, you know, whether it's how they said it happened or how everyone knows it happened, but the voices exist. How many voices can you show me from the hundreds of millions of lives that you're claiming were lost to the Soviet Union. Because those who are actually related are descendants of fucking Nazis, and that's why they're not going on book tours. No, certainly, they were just that severe. They killed that many people that there's no people left, and then the people that were left, they silenced them so hard, and they censored them so well, and they canceled them. It's all that cancel culture, man, that communist cancel culture. Yeah, like people forget, like, cameras and, vid and video cameras culture. were, like, a, were a thing here. We, we could tell because yeah. we have World War II right. shit everywhere. Well, I think that's, that's precisely the case, though, is they're, they're counting. They did shit like counting Soviet casualties against yes. the Nazis. And right. a, a natural famine in the Ukraine that has happened historically many times yep. as mm. the deaths that were caused by, quote unquote, communism instead of death by Nazis and death by famine. I mean, I, everyone that's listened to this before knows that I'm a harsh USSR critic. There was anti-Semitism. Stalin even had campaigns about it. But it wasn't nearly as organized as the Nazis. It wasn't nearly as directed as the Nazis. And like, yeah, there, there's just no empirical evidence that those purges existed at all. And it's fucking insulting, honestly, coming from somebody that does have survivors in my family. Like, Russians were the liberators. If you talk to European people, the majority of them don't see the U.S. as the one that won the war with the stupid bombs that were on civilian mm -hmm. populations. They're like, Russia won this bitch, which is more it or is, less true. Yes. Seven in ten Nazi deaths yeah. were on the Eastern Front. Um, and even taking that further, like, let, let's talk about Holodomor. It was a naturally occurring famine. But do I... Per and you guys may even differ with me on this. Do I personally think that Stalin could have done more to survive the Kulaks during the Holodomor than he did? Absolutely. I think he made decisions to send minimum resources to not help them during a famine. And I think that probably did lead to uh, the Kulaks dying to a larger degree than they may not have 
if Stalin would have done more. But let me ask you this. Did the U.S. do more? Did the U.K. do more? Did anyone else go to, to the defense of the Kulaks while they were going through a naturally occurring famine? No. Stalin still sent more than everyone else to them. And also, they, they fucking sucked. I do have a section about the Holodomor if we want to get to it, but we can talk about that later. But um, let me go with uh, Jaron and then Ward. I saw you had something too. I'm just going to play off of Sterling's point here is like, let's take another World War II hero, Winston fucking Churchill, and the famine that occurred in uh, Bengal in India, which he absolutely had a part of and was directly yep. part of the, the entire setup for this which did kill between 2.1 and 3 million Indians uh, approximately could have been less, could have been more. Maybe there's disinformation there, but like if you're going to bitch and whine about a famine in Ukraine and blame it on communism, why aren't we bitching and whining about a famine in India that was directly the result of colonialism by the United Kingdom? Yeah, it resulted in 134 further, million deaths. What about Thatcher? What about mad Jesus cow Christ. disease? She straight up engineered that. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? Milk snatcher. The, the mad cow disease happened because uh, Margaret Thatcher loosened a lot of regulations on the farming and beef industries in, the, in England. And so that led to mad cow disease spreading into the food supplies for English people. And I forget like what her complicity level was in it. I think it was just that she saw that there was profit to be made if they loosened regulations and then did it, and it resulted in the deaths of a bunch of people. And a mad cow disease death is pretty fucking gruesome. Like, we talked about it in an episode. It's like you slowly go insane, and you, it's, like, almost equivalent to, like, Alzheimer's. Um, but, like, it could, it could happen to you even if yeah. you're, like, seven, and you just yeah. eat the wrong oh, beef fuck. pie or whatever they have over there in England. She was trying to out-Reagan Reagan yeah. during oh. the Reagan era, and is like, oh, no, we're going to loosen all fucking regulations. And yeah. Oh, you can't out Reagan the Reagan. You can't go full Reagan. You know, never go full Reagan. Um, War, did you have something else? Yeah, I, um, from what I remember, I could be wrong on this, but they, especially for the Black Book of Communism, that 100 million figure, they were also using um, estimates of the children that would have been born if yep, the Nazi yeah. soldiers they, weren't killed. Literally, you're not wrong. Like, no, that was a thing in the book, yes. Yeah. That's Which so we could also tie into the current yeah. victims of communist memorial fund and how fucked up their shit is where they still include every Nazi death in World War II and are currently using every single COVID-19 death in the statistic. For communism. Oh my God. Because wow. they're still running that narrative that it came from Wuhan. I love it. When it came from Fort Detrick. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so the last things I wanted to say to, to just wrap up that question... Um, you guys are all right. There were definitely suspicious methods used for arriving at the number, including counting the deaths of Nazi soldiers as victims of communism, which, you know, oh no. Which they were, and based. <laughs> exactly, dude. <laughs> um, they took the average birth rate statistics from before communism took effect and then compared that to birth rates after communism, after communist revolutions, like you said, Ward. And then they claimed that the difference was due to communism rather than the wars that were still going on during that time, um, you know, which seems pretty obvious as a flaw in methodology. But basically, if we use the same methods for determining the death toll of capitalism, it would number in the billions. Like if we were just to try to use those same dishonest <laughs> like methods. But even if we were to use more honest mm -hmm. criteria, we're attributing deaths to a political or economic system. 
and then use those same criteria consistently to judge both capitalism and communism, the death toll of capitalism would be much, much higher. It would be every and, death because all yeah. of the communist deaths were in response to capitalism and eventually we will crack the core of this planet and destroy the whole planet. And the truth is every single human being to ever exist is part of the death toll of capitalism. I think that's kind of what I was actually getting at. I was going to say, like, the first reason that there's yeah, accurate. <laughs> the, the main reason probably that there I mean, I'll admit as a critic of capitalism, the main reason that there would be so many more deaths attributed to capitalism is because capitalism is ubiquitous. Out of all the countries that exist currently or have in the past, a very small fraction have even attempted to implement any system that we would even compare to socialism. The majority of examples, I think, of communism and socialism working in practice are actually lost to history. Uh, talking about people when they still organized mm. in communities and they were like nomadic hunter gatherers and they were, you know, organizing communities that were still civilizations. Like, you know, they were definitely large and would comprise what we called city states, but just not as big as modern day countries. And I mean, it seems to me that like if you were to take a, a step back and look at like the grand scale of humanity, that's kind of our arc is that humanity started out collectivist and then some group or groups got it into their minds that. Not only did they have the best system for cultivating land and developing tools and trading with each other, they also decided that everyone else must also adopt that same system by force if necessary. And that's where things like primitive accumulation and enclosure come in. And then once capitalism, more specifically the outward colonial version of it, like the openly colonial version of it, once that took over enough of the world that long-term effects could be foreseen by somebody like Marx, who sees where this is all going, sees the concentration of wealth and sees the immiseration of the working classes, that's when you get a conscious effort to return humanity to its natural state of cooperative organization and production and distribution based on need rather than expansion for just expansion's sake. What's up, Stanley? To even take what I just said a little bit further, every listener listening to this right now, you are alive right now, but you will die in the future because of capitalism. Like, there is going to be something you could have survived if it was not for the existence of capitalism. So I want you to live every day until capitalism kills you, knowing who your murderer is and doing whatever you can to frustrate that murderer because he's killing you, he's killing your children, killing your children's children if you're so lucky that the planet exists that long, and so on. Yeah. yeah. Doom scroll Sterling. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm two beers in, baby. <laughs> you got something, Jewel? Yeah, so uh, that actually just, I think that there is a level of like insane optimism we kind of have to have because there is definitely a chance that we can do some shit with some very uh, radical stuff, you know what I mean? Because like... I think I get what you're putting down. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, dude. Because <laughs> like, I love the dupe scroll and yes, there are murderers. There are murderer capitalists. They're vampires that are not vampires. They're fleshmen. They're real. You know what I mean? They're soft. And we can find them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not saying myself because I'm really lazy and like I got, a, I got a bad hip and a bad shoulder. I'm going to see the doctor tomorrow. I, I wouldn't plan on doing anything crazy. But you know what no, I mean? You don't, none of that sounds actionable. You don't look like a threat. I would say that you're probably safe as far as the DHS and NSA are concerned. Yeah. Exactly. I'm all right. So, would you have Sterling? How many people do you think had to die for Jeff Bezos to go fly in space for five minutes? 
I don't know, but I know it's a real number. I do know that the Soviet Union did what he did 60 fucking years ago. <laughs> With a farmer. <laughs> Just before we got on here tonight to record, I saw right next to, you know, another fawning article about Jeff Bezos, you know, going into space. There was an article about this woman who begged for not even maternity leave, like because she was pregnant and like hadn't had her baby yet. She just wanted lighter duty, just like lighter workloads because she was getting more and more pregnant and it was getting harder and harder for her to do things. And then they said no and she miscarried. Right. So that's that's the death toll of Jeff Bezos going into fucking space, you know, just to. Well, we also have that worker who died on the factory floor Mm -hmm. who like the week before, like within 15 minutes of being late with a package had his managers on hand, like on site to reprimand him, but he laid dead for three to four hours on the factory floor before anyone came by. What the fuck? Yeah, like they didn't notice that with all those cameras. Yeah. Right? And the tracking equipment that they have on every single fucking person. Right. No, that's that's one of the wildest parts of of living in this this capitalist hellhole we're in. Just all of the micromanaging that we kind of have to deal with at every job that's like, you know, ultimately kind of annoying in like the service industry but when you get into like uh you know shipping and all of that where you've got these like crazy quotas and you're you know you're really a cog in the machine you know what i mean it's like absolutely wild how much horse shit they they put people through and everyone's just like a lot of people are like oh yeah man i love working a hundred dollars a week on two knees that are blown out and my shoulder fucking is falling out of my socket but uh, i gotta put these packages on yeah, you know? I could I could tolerate the micromanaging. Like I can tolerate asshole bosses. Like I've been tolerating them since I was sixteen. It's just life. Yeah, yeah. In, in the U.S. But like, what I really take issue with is the chemicals that are killing me slowly all the time, mm-hmm. and that we that we know that are doing it, but we continue using them because it's cheap. Yeah, like all I do is like interact with materials and things. Like this is the whole reason we know Ward. Like the whole reason that Ward is on the podcast is because. Our episode six, we started talking about plastics because in our little group chat that we had at the time, I was talking about how I went down the rabbit hole with asbestos. Mm -hmm. And I was like super paranoid about asbestos. I was like, got to avoid asbestos, got to take care of it if I see it. Like asbestos is the devil. And I was like, well, how bad is asbestos really compared to like other materials that I'm encountering, like fiberglass? Like fiberglass insulation is really fucking bad. And the older it gets, the worse it is because it just flakes off. And it's like these little glass spikes stick inside your lungs and they never leave. And then they eventually like metastasize and cause cancer and they kill you. Oh, God. Um, but even sand, silicosis is a thing. Silica dust, anything that's like, you know, if you have a bag of concrete and you breathe in that dust or even just somebody kicks sand in your face at the fucking beach. Like those yeah. grains can get in your lungs and just stick there and just get stuck and give you silicosis. It's very unlikely. But the point is that all dust is bad. Mm-hmm. And I went down the rabbit hole with dust and then. You can then go down the rabbit hole with literally any chemical. You can start seeing any kind of chemical that's in a bucket. Paint. Like the fumes from paint give you fucking cancer. Mm -hmm. Literally everything around us all day gives us cancer. And we know it because like people have known about asbestos since the ancient Greeks. The ancient Greeks knew that the slaves that they had mining the asbestos because they used it because it was very, it's not flammable. It's very useful. The slaves that they had mining it would die very early of lung diseases. So they knew it was bad back then. And we're still just using shit because it's, oh, it's cheap. It's like, it's the cheaper alternative to doing things the right way or actually taking externalities into account. Sorry. Go ahead, Jewel. I'll go off on that rant anytime. You guys can stop me when I do that. But go ahead. No, you're good. But not cheaper to the consumer. Right. right. Not, not at all. But um, speaking of like fucking breathing shit in, there is, 
you know about the fires that are on the fucking west side of the United States that are blowing yeah. all the way up over to the east yeah. coast. So wonderful that I, that I know that I'm breathing in shittier air right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I like, I feel like this was a joke and I, and I didn't believe it, but was it, was this caused by some sort of gender reveal party? Am I, or am I being duped? Was that mean? <laughs> I know at least Jewish one space laser was, no. but I don't know if it's this particular. No. <laughs> Pure space lasers. Yeah. I'm going to say, if you think breathing smoke is bad, even if there's not smoke in the air, more than likely you're breathing in nanoparticles of plastic oh, that's, anytime you're outside. Really? Nanoparticles? Yeah. Yes. It's capitalism's that's fault because... Yeah, we can't even study them because they're so small. That's fucked up. But, the bush would not be yeah. susceptible to stupid fires like gender reveal fires if it was not for incredible capitalism destroying nature. And we, we should do an episode on that at one point. Um, I used to do a bunch of government contract work out in California specifically, where mm-hmm. I uh, helped remove a bunch of falling trees in those areas right. that would turn into fire hazards that could potentially cause wildfires. And I got to talk to a few scientists who were also working on those same things, and they gave me some very interesting news. You talk about doom scrolling? I'd love to share that on an episode one time, where they basically have all come to the conclusion that we're, we're past the point of fixing it. And eventually, oh, this, this country is just going to burn to the ground, and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, you know how, like, you heard, oh, seven more years for our carbon budget, yeah. and then it's like, now it's coming out, it's like, oh, well, I think we're actually past that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that, that was basically their point, is that uh, what's going to happen is all of the trees are going to die in California, and then the insects that are killing them, which are bark beetles, are going to make their way through Canada and then circle down the East Coast and then kill all of that vegetation and then work inward. And all of your billionaires are going to start moving to the Midwest because of this. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> what do we do? When, uh... I don't even want to go down that, that whole uh, path on this episode because we'll just get stuck in that. But like, I don't know if you guys follow like um, Brett mm-hmm. left on um, his social medias, like on his own Twitter. Like he's just like... He shares my memes. He's a babe. He's been really going down that rabbit hole a lot lately. Like most of his stuff lately has been regarding the impending climate collapse. And I can understand why, because he's worried for his own future and his kids' future. It's like, this is legitimately an existential crisis. And it's like, nobody seems to be taking it seriously enough. I don't know what the solution is. I mean, the solution obviously is to end capitalism, but it's like, I don't know what the the path is to get there. And it seems like anything that you could even suggest that would be effective is going to get you arrested or at least some knocks on your door. So it's like, I don't really want to even go down that path tonight. Let's just uh, talk about something else. Let's talk about the hello to more. I mean, I do this. This still ties into the, the episode subject for me though. Cause it's like one of the biggest things about socialist or communist countries or just leftism in general is they they preach about indoctrination and propaganda and brainwashing and all these things. And we literally just went through a pandemic that shows us how the average person will be treated in times of crisis. Literally mm-hmm. just showed us how we will be treated. And then two billionaires went to the stratosphere to jack off and made a big deal out of it. Like we've never done that before. Yeah. The only difference is this was way more expensive and uh, completely elective no point to it and when climate change does become serious that is how we will be treated 
And yet we still are playing off of this, this tone that socialist countries are heavily indoctrinated, that they're the ones that are the victims of propaganda, instead of being like, holy shit, we are all in jeopardy yeah. here. You know, you, you can hear that any day on any social media platform about how the people of North Korea are, are brainwashed or the CCP is brainwashed or like the Cuban loyalists are brainwashed or whatever, or you're brainwashed for trying to say something that makes a goddamn lick of sense. But like, it, how can you not see this? I was about to say, the fact that you use CCP instead of CPC shows the amount of propaganda uh, propaganda uh, come on Wendy stickler <laughs> it's absolutely no it's absolutely We're a such thing. a fucking stickler for, i know it is purposeful I, know, I, I get it language that is used in i the still Western do it myself media. sometimes it is yeah you're yeah. right would you have still it says he brings up the media and tying into what jared was saying just look at how the media outlets treated bezos going uh into space for five minutes like oh it was this God, huge yeah. accomplishment that's oh moving us moving us forward that's that's what's going to happen. They're going to move to the Midwest while everything else burns and becomes uninhabitable. And they're going to set up uh, company cities out there where you can't live unless you are basically living underneath a feudal I love that. Yeah, right. The, and the media outlets are going to praise them like they're going to fix it. They're, they're just taking these cities and, and taking control of them because they have these plans to make it better. We just we need oh, to praise no. them. Dude, those two no. fucking assholes got more fucking media coverage than China launching its own uh, space station and having the first fucking uh, branch of communist government in space. I hate billionaires in space. Terrible musical. You guys want to do uh, Tiananmen Square? Ooh. Jaren, what did you say? It came through kind of garbled. Oh, he was saying now oh, that's a terrible musical. I was saying it's worse than Hamilton. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton went on to write the other five billion articles. <laughs> oh, man. Um, George Washington. You better get out of here before I shoot you, son. I, I haven't seen the musical. You know what's funny is, uh, Jewel, when I first saw your videos, I was like, my first reaction, obviously, like, seeing the communist show, I was like, that's cool and everything, but I was like, man, I wish I could dance. That looks like so much fun, because I'm so fucking white, I cannot dance to save my life. But um, seeing that, I was like, this looks like fun. I'm like, is this guy just good at dancing? It just comes naturally. And then now hearing that you went to school for it, I feel much better. I'm just like, okay, so I'm not like a total loser, just a little bit of a loser. No, you're not a loser at all, man. Uh, movement is kind of like... It's a weird thing. I think that culturally there has been a very concerted effort to through, you know, mechanisms of toxic masculinity and like propaganda and culture and such. There's been this sort of push away, especially for men to get into dancing. You know what I mean? Yeah. When like in early media, when like movies and stuff were, you know, sort of new and such, but like the biggest shit was fucking movie musicals. Like some of the biggest guys were like Gene Kelly. Yeah. Bruce Lee was a fucking tango champion. You know what I mean? Like dancing was kind of like a, a thing that you did and it wasn't like gendered or feminized. It was just kind of cultural. Like you could go to a function and do whatever the cultural dance was be it like a conservative one or something a little bit more like bounce, you know what I mean? <laughs> but like movement is, uh, it's, it can actually be broken down pretty easy. 
Um, and there's like a lot of really excellent like adult classes that people can get into. I don't teach adult classes because I kind of suck at that. Um, I talk too much. So I teach like little kids. They're easier. We just run around and like, I'm like, kick your legs up. Let's go. It's great. Hop around. But, that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, it's great. They love it. But um, no, dancing is like super simple. You know what I mean? Once you just kind of get past the, the fact that you are going to look stupid, no matter how good of a dancer you are, there is footage of like Chris Brown looking absolutely stupid. There is a, at least one video out there of Terry Crews looking like an absolute goofball. You know what I mean? Like there's Gene Kelly slipping in a banana peel. <laughs> Every single person has, has fallen into the stupid or the, the goofy and it's fine. You know, once you get past the fact that you're going to look foolish for a little bit and you own that, then you can like really be like, oh, what is the music saying to me? What can I do? What do my shoulders do? What does my butt do? You know what I mean? And these are like <laughs> kind of things that culturally we're not supposed to like ask really. You know what I mean? It's like kind of weird. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. you know, you laugh like, oh, what does my butt do? But at the same time, it's like, no, what, what do your hips, what's that relationship to your body? How do they, give you locomotion you know what i mean and it's a discovery of self through rhythm it's fun i had no idea that either terry cruz or bruce lee could dance i thought they were both just badasses who love china like <laughs> uh no bruce lee um was like a i believe like a uh not an argentine tango but like or or a salsa champion either way um in his uh study of movement he was very much like a all-around kind of guy he also trained with like kareem abdul jabbar there was a famous uh running route that they both did i think it was in like san francisco which is like notoriously hilly you know what i mean yeah and him and kareem abdul jabbar would fucking do this in this like martial arts writer wrote an article about doing it for i think like a month or so and it was like crazy yeah he had kareem, but, he had kareem in uh, one of his movies in the game of death yeah he kicked him right in the chest it shows crazy. Amazing. Great scene. Would you have I, I just want to say real quick, I got to jump off. I've got a super early okay. morning, but th this was a blast. Maybe you guys will get through more questions without me. Yeah, sorry about Thank that. You. I just, uh, this actually went exactly as I'd hoped. I wanted to make this something that we just do a couple and we shoot the shit and then we do a couple more when we do another episode debunking more into communist myths. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, go ahead and plug Twitter real quick and then uh, go ahead and bounce. Uh, at turn leftist pod on Twitter. I you can't remember. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for jumping on. I'll see you later. See you guys. Let's uh, let's debunk uh, Tiananmen Square. All right. So this is probably the most reading that I'll do tonight. We can do this one last, and then we can just kind of call it a night. So let's see. This is an article called Tiananmen Square Massacre is a Myth. Mm -hmm. All we're, quote, remembering are British lies. And this is by Gregory Clark from June of 2014. He starts off by saying this is the date that will mark the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square quote-unquote massacre. Mm -hmm. and he says what it should actually mark is the anniversary of one of the more spectacular UK black information operations, almost on a par with the mythical Iraqi weapons of mass destruction, Darren's favorite. The original story of the Chinese troops on the night of the 3rd and 4th of June, 1989, that they started machine-gunning hundreds of innocent student protesters in Beijing's iconic Tiananmen Square, has since been thoroughly discredited by the many witnesses there at the time among them a Spanish TVE television crew, a Reuters correspondent, and protesters themselves, who say that nothing happened other than a military unit entering and asking several hundred of those remaining to leave the square that night. 
Yet none of this has stopped the massacre from being revived constantly and believed. All that has happened is that the location has been changed, from the square itself to the streets leading to the square. The original story began with a long article in English published six days later in Hong Kong's South China Morning Post by an alleged protester whose whereabouts have never been ascertained. Anonymously planted stories are a favorite technique of UK black information authorities, but this did not stop it from being front page by the New York Times on June 12th, together with a photo of blazing troop-carrying buses and followed up by Tank Man, the photo of, the, of a lone student allegedly trying to stop a row of army tanks from entering the square. The myth of an unprovoked massacre has since taken root. True, no one denies that large numbers of citizens and students were killed near the square by soldiers seemingly out of control. But why? Let's go back to those photos of the burning buses. The popular view is that they were torched by angry protesters after the shooting began. In fact, they were torched before. The evidence? Reports of charred corpses being strung up underneath overpasses. One photographed by Reuters remains unpublished. And photos of badly burned soldiers seeking shelter in nearby houses. Soldiers in that kind of situation tend to go out with guns blazing just as the good citizens of Fallujah. Fortunately, we also have the hourly reports from the U.S. Embassy in Beijing, available on the internet to tell us exactly what happened. They note that originally the Beijing authorities had wanted to send unarmed troops to clear the square of remaining students as the protests were beginning to wind down. Blocked by the crowds, armed troops were bussed in, and this time they were blocked by crowds with petrol bombs, with ugly results. Even so, some units tried to restrain the out-of-control soldiers, and an embassy report of students killing a soldier trying to enter the square could explain some of the carnage on his periphery. As for Tank Man, we now know from the cameraman himself that his widely publicized photo was taken from his hotel window the day after the riots, and the tanks were going away from, not into, the square. A detailed report by the authoritative Columbia Journalist Review, the Tiananmen Square myth and the price of a passive press, has since noted the media preference for blood and gore stories, but none of this seems to have dented the credibility of the Tiananmen Square massacre story. It goes on, but it's not really super relevant, so I'll just leave it there. Get word. Yeah, like, it's still upsetting when you, there's still people that believe that Tank Man was ran over by those tanks. Yeah, and, and that video is like, on YouTube. You can find you, it right you away. You can find like, the video where his friends pulled him away, and, like, those tanks are trying to go around him, not hurting him, and he's, like, moving back and forth, staying in front of him, ends up climbing on top of the tank. They don't do anything to him. He hops back off the tank, standing in front of him, and it was his friends that dragged him away. Yeah, he's, like, smacking the tank with his bags of groceries and shit. Like, Oh, shit. He said, fuck that tank. <laughs> it was pretty cringy, to be honest. Yeah. I haven't seen um, this. And, uh, yeah, if you, if you just uh, look up Tank Man, Tiananmen Square on YouTube, and one of the first results is like a two-minute video, and you can see this guy, he's just like swatting at the tank with his little plastic bag of groceries, then his friends mm -hmm. come up and they drag him away, and he walks away unscathed. Like, but like we're saying, it was the day after the massacre, and so the explanation here for the Tiananmen Square massacre is not that it's a total myth, there obviously were people that were killed, but the point is that there were unruly protesters, the military responded, and I think even in less of a fashion than they would here in the U.S. after what we've seen in recent years. And then they were responded, like the protesters attacked back. They attacked with some deadly force, and then the soldiers got out of control, which, again, not excusing that, like, fuck soldiers, you know, fuck them for doing that to civilians, but that's just what happened. It's not like it was just some, this was not ordered by the state. Like, these were soldiers who were acting wrongfully. Yeah. But it's not just some state-ordered massacre, like, go fuck up these protesters because they dared to say something. What would you have, Jaron? So I know it's difficult to compare different anecdotes, but, it, you know, for the record, just even just taking one example of, like, that old dude in Buffalo, New York last year, who was, like, yeah. you know, 65, maybe, 
you know, let's let's say sixty. Fuck it, sixty. Not super strong, and he didn't he didn't even go so far as like to get on a tank and hit it with his groceries. He just walked in the vicinity of police who were going the other way, and they push him down and crack his head open and just keep going. And then he's in critical fucking yeah. condition. And that's that's not even one of the worst stories that we have here in the U.S. So like. <sighs> I don't know. I know I keep comparing it to like what we have here, but that's why these like canonical fucking lies and bullshit are just so stupid. They're so stupid and just tone deaf. Yeah. To add more context to that situation, you're just talking about Jaron is if you watch the video footage, he's holding a police riot helmet. He was trying to give it back to the police because one of the cops dropped it. He was trying to find somebody he could give it back to. And they shoved him to the fucking ground and cracked his skull open. Yeah, I will never forget that video of him falling backwards and he starts bleeding from the ear immediately. I'm like, you know how fucking bad that is for you, especially for anybody, but especially if you're at the age of like 60 like he is. And they just do it without any thought. Like there's literally no thought for those police to think that of this as like a, a person, let alone like a civilian that they're supposed to be acting in the service of. All right, so we're already like way over time. I just wanted to get through that Tiananmen Square one because I thought it was kind of a good place to leave it on because that's a nice hot take to defend the fucking Tiananmen Square. <laughs> like, oh, I figured right. we were going to end on weakers, but we'll save I that. mean, we, so we, we could, but that's, I feel like, going to be a long one. And I'm really going to go too long. That's why I kept it short and ended it where we could uh, just start shitting on Adrian's ends. Well, what I want to do is uh, I want to leave people wanting more, basically, because I feel like this is an episode we could continue to do. Just like our Q&As, I think we could do a lot of these. So just to preview some of the other ones that I put in here that we... I wrote some things up for some of these, and some I just didn't even bother because I knew we weren't going to get to. Um, The mass crying in the DPRK, the work camps, the generational imprisonment where you you and your kids and your kids' kids are punished. Mm. Um, And then like just more of the general how they don't have any free speech or they don't have the internet or they're all starving. Uh, stuff like that, DPRK-specific ones. The Holodomor we didn't actually get to. Um, I have a nice long article that debunks that pretty well. We could talk about Stalin's purges. Have some Grover Fur quotes. I think that would be fun. Um, I feel like we have to address the the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution. And then Stalin being homophobic and anti-Semitic. I think Jaron will have some things to say about that, and that will be interesting. And then we should talk about gulags as well, talk about you know some of the myths around them. Communism going against human nature, or communism means everyone gets paid the same, so no one will work hard. We can do this forever, dude. We will never run out of these. This is no, there's so many, and it's just kind of crazy because they, uh, I don't know, every single one of them kind of just sounds like, hey, communism is doing this, but that sounds like capitalism, man. Yeah, bro. It just sounds sounds like what's happening here, man. I just know everybody's kind of broken and been working forever. I don't know, guys. I just, I don't really want to share my toothbrush with you. <laughs> Listen, I have like three toothbrushes. Do you want one? <laughs> He's so generous. It's oh, okay. Yeah. Jeff Bezos has like a thousand. You should take his toothbrushes. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, if anybody has any myths they want us to address, uh, reach out. You know, DM us, find us in our link tree, hit us up in the Discord, wherever. Um, just tell us your myth that you want us to uh, address and debunk. I will say real quick, Jaron, when I say Grover Fur, you say, ugh, is it something you, you have a beef with Grover Fur? I have a huge beef oh, with yeah. Grover Fur. I did not know this. Oh, my God. We gotta... How did you not know? I didn't, he never came up. I never heard him say anything about Grover Fur. I, sh- I shit on him in the Discord all the time, yeah. I was going to say that, and I think it was on one episode briefly, mm-hmm. and he was just very... Ugh. 
I, I probably, Dude, I probably grumbled. Right. Yeah, we're doing a Grover yeah. Fur episode. Then fuck it. We'll, we'll we'll skip even talking about Stalin. We'll just talk about Grover Fur. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a great like, episode. A it lot. sucks though, because like almost everything about the USSR and Stalin is a fucking lie. And then Grover Fur comes in and he's like, it's all a fucking lie. And also it was way better than that. And he just says <laughs> a bunch of other shit. That's like total pendulum swing, but that's why I like him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he is the reactionary to like the West being a piece of shit about the whole thing. So like, obviously that was going to happen. Yeah. Let's leave it there. Jewel, tell our listeners where they can find you. Tell them all your like tags on social media and like where they can reach you. So I am on uh, Twitch as Comrade Jewel still, uh, TikTok, uh, Twitter, and Instagram as Dance Praxis. Uh, you know, I make the the funnies on TikTok and uh, I barely post on Instagram, and sometimes I say stuff on Twitter. But uh, I just like popping up on shit. Also, I have a podcast called uh, the Don't Panic Podcast. I do with my buddy Jed. Um, we're going to start back up. We've been doing a little hiatus as of right now, but uh, we'll be doing bi-weekly episodes starting in like the end of August sometime. Okay. Very soft <laughs> scheduling. Okay. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know you guys had a podcast, but yeah. for everybody, that's Comrade Jewel. Yeah. That's C-O-M-R-A-D-E-J-U-U-L. So it's Comrade Jewel, J-U-U-L, like the vapes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for dance practice, it's D-A-N-C-E-P-R-A-X-I-S. Thank I you. can easily get confused with uh, dance practice. That's what it made me think of when I heard it. <laughs> exactly. You got word? No, I just had to ask, is the Don't Panic for your podcast a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference? No, but everyone keeps asking that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, look at that sad face. I just want to give you a hug. I do love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I'm really glad that it makes you happy that it was a, but it was not intentional. I will say that. But yeah, thank so, you so much for having me. This was really fun. And uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, good to meet you, man. If I could kick it and be tankies with you guys, that, that'd be cool. Yeah, we'll invite you on for the next one. Don't worry. Absolutely. Right. Hell yeah, guys. Cool, All right. again. I'll talk Take to you care. later. All right, Ward, go ahead and plug your uh, Instagram. Did we lose the yeah. fucking bot again? No, no, we still have it. Oh, okay. In there. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. I've stopped posting on my main page. So follow me at Millennial Leftist, common spelling. Did you guys see uh, Fashy Smashy just got axed today? Yeah. That was a big one, dude. Yeah. Uh, Jaron, go ahead and plug your website, bud. Uh, it's Jaron Perlman, J-A-R-O-N-P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N.com. You can purchase either one of my books there. And uh, currently, I'm not running any charities. I'm trying to save up to get my third book edited because my editor is the shit and deserves every penny of it. Um, yeah. And also, whoever's been hacking my shit, fuck you. And uh, hope you enjoy my Facebook. Because it's gone. Damn. Yeah. You still got your Instagram, right? Still got my Instagram. Y'all ain't getting that one. But yeah, fuck you. I feel like the Facebook is the one you should be able to get back because they always want your phone number and your ID. Like, they, Every time I give my ID, they're like, this isn't a valid form of whatever. So at this point, I'm like, well, I didn't even like Facebook anyway. So You'll be better off. I got rid of Facebook when we started having kids and I have not looked back. It's been great. Yeah, I got yeah. rid of mine like five years ago. Best decision. I was pissing off a lot of people on there. So I, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the platform to do it. Everyone's dumb as hell. I mean, for you, like <laughs> you write and you write really well. So Facebook is the place we can get a whole bunch of text like that. So I imagine it's perfect for that. Whereas like me, I just am so meme oriented. Like there's a reason I don't 
write so much. I mean, even though I do it for this podcast, it's because you hear how I am. Like I'm just wordy and I, I'll take forever to get to the point, but like memes are just, that's why I love them so much. Like you could just say so much. With oh, the they're the best. Yeah. All right. And then for, so let me say for our listeners, um, if you'd like to check us out, uh, discussing Jaron's book, the politics of fear, we uh, did a reading of chapter one. We just did the discussion episode. I'm just going to uh, take a quick listen to that. That should be out in the next couple of days for our Patreon listeners. So if you'd like to hear us reading Jaron's book chapter by chapter and then discussing them after each episode, then uh, yeah, come subscribe to our Patreon. All right. So, and of course, thanks again, as always, to all our Patreon subscribers, Jared, Bill Killionaires, Bro You Know Marks, David, Tristan, Devante, Your Mother, Charlotte, James, Bishop Mew, Rural Marxist, MC, John Bovey Fan 420, Aaron, Kyle, Jean-Claude Manhans, Neil, Phil, Blackwater Janitor, and Jay Reese. Thank you guys so much. Jaron, your favorite is obviously Jean-Claude Manhans, right? It, yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty fucking funny, and it's so out of left field. It's just great. It's fantastic. It's everything I ever wanted, and I didn't even know it. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. Please uh, give us some good reviews and uh, rate us on iTunes or whatever. I think will help extend our reach. Thanks, guys, for joining me. This was a lot of fun. Can't wait to do the next one, debunk more anti-communist myths. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. See you guys. Have a good